potentially an official announcement comes either from Tel Aviv or from Washington. Uh, have a great day, buddy. Uh, yep. And if I don't see you, I know I won't see you, but happy Thanksgiving. You too. Catch yep. you when we get back. All right. Thanks, Connell. Well, hello and welcome to the Hill here on News Nation. It is one of the rallying cries of Hamas and others who want to see Israel wiped off the map. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Well, now one lawmaker has just introduced a resolution to condemn that very phrase, and we will speak to him about it in moments here on the Hill. Plus, who the transportation head is warning ahead of the holiday travel season, where Donald Trump's campaign is now placing ads. And did you see the moment when Nikki Haley complimented a nine-year-old girl? What happened next is what made the headlines. Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Ford O'Connell, former 2020 Trump campaign surrogate. Amisha Cross is a former Obama campaign advisor. Brad Howard is a Democratic strategist. And Ashley Davis, a former George W. Bush White House official. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. All right, and come on in. Thank you for being here on The Hill once again, where tonight we are patiently waiting potentially for some good news here, a deal between Israel and Hamas potentially to free dozens of hostages in Gaza. It could be announced at any moment now. Closer than we've been. Uh, uh, We believe we're getting closer, but I will not have any updates for you. I am not going to be able to confirm the details That from John Kirby, a spokesperson for the National Security Council earlier today. Hello to you all. Thank you for being here. Um, Look, obviously, everybody wants to see all of these hostages back. It seems like President Biden has been and the White House has been in the middle of this. If we get a deal here, Ashley Ford, you give him credit, the president? I give him credit, but I also wouldn't hold my breath because Hamas doesn't negotiate in good faith and Hamas doesn't value life, whether it's Palestinian life or Israeli life. That's the sad fact of it. And what happens if this exchange does go through? When's the fighting going to begin again? Because it's going to begin again because Israel has to eradicate Hamas and Hamas is saying death to Israel. I give him credit. I think he's done a really good job with the uh, standing up for Israel. However, he is putting this and wearing this around his neck. So if it continues to get bad, he will get blamed for it. And I mean, you guys can speak about what's happening inside the Democrat Party. Wearing, wearing what around his neck? Specifically the hostages or the war? Or... The war. I mean, right. the war in general, I think. I I agree with that. I think that um, at this point you have in President Biden someone who has he knows that the stakes are really high. He knows that this isn't only a PR, not only a war, but it's a PR fight on his side as well as on Bibi Netanyahu's because his popularity ratings aren't that high in Israel either. Um, But he also knows that he has long been known, at least in the Democratic Party and more so outside of it as well, as someone who is strategic in foreign policy. So if there is a blunder, especially when he's come out so loudly and strongly in support of Israel and believes that this could naturally go in his favor. A lot of the electoral cycle in 2024 depends on this going very well. So I think that there's a little bit of a, uh, on his side, this has to go well because there's so much riding on it. Yeah, this is the most probably defining moment of his presidency will be how he resolves this conflict. And it's also going to test the case of their foreign policy in the U.S.-Israel relationship because His argument is, or at least internally, is we've got to come out strong in favor of Israel's right to defend itself. 
And because of that, we have the support and the belief of the Israeli people that we have their best interests in mind. And it creates this ability for us to negotiate and to ask them to pull back the fighting to get in and rescue some of these, um, you know, uh, hostages, but also like some of the, uh, the folks that are fleeing the crisis. So this is critical. This is uh, this moment. I think he's going to look back and be the defining moment of his presidency. I, I agree. But do you think and I'm just thinking back to Bush days, too. But do you think people are going to vote for him because of how he handles Israel or how he handles I, the border and I, economy I, and I, crime? I, I it's going to be border and economy. Society. It's going yeah. to be border and economy. They, the White House wants to make it Israel. But I will but, say the longer this goes on, the worse off it's going to be for Joe Biden and Democrats because of the fracture it, of the Democratic depends, Party. It depends over this on issue. if there is another quagmire right before the election. Again, we recognize that this is a huge issue. However, of course, uh, Americans, as well as anybody in any, in any country, they, they feel for their domestic policy issues a lot more. So the migrant crisis is something that a lot of cities and a lot of people are looking at because it affects their cities specifically. But I do think that if there was... Um, if this if this negotiation, if this deal goes bad or if there are more attacks and we see more students who are protesting, more young people who are up in arms, you're going to see a shift in the way that President Biden handles this, because I think that he is being very specific about how he talks about. Young I, I got to get out to the Middle East, but real quick, because I know you want to her point. She's exactly right. <laughs> okay. I agree with her in the sense that this doesn't have the ability to win Democrats votes. The concern of the Democratic Party is that it will cost us votes with young voters. Yeah, well, that's that's that's, that's this information. Yeah. Right. I don't have a right. Well, um, over to the Middle East, our guy on the ground uh, once again, Robert Sherman uh, in Tel Aviv. Robert, we're, we're, we're waiting for this. We're, we're hearing positive and good signs. You're there in Israel. What's the latest? Hey there, Blake. And really from the beginning, the Israeli strategy has been to not put out more information into the public sphere than is absolutely necessary. We have seen the Israeli leadership try and throw cold water on a lot of these rumors over the last couple of days of what a hostage deal would look like. But what we've heard from the prime minister today was a optimism that something will come through and be now hearing about this meeting that is taking place now. I mean, this is definitely a more optimistic sentiment that we've heard on the ground here. One thing that I would note, Blake, is, is that from the beginning, the Israelis have made abundantly clear there are two goals. One is to destroy Hamas. The other is to get the hostages back. And I have to tell you that there are some hostage families who don't like that, who have been making their voices clear on the ground that they believe getting the hostages back should be heads and shoulders the number one priority here. So that has been a needle that the Israeli leadership has had to thread. Something else that the prime minister said today before going into that meeting is making it abundantly clear that if a deal comes to fruition and it includes a ceasefire, the war does not end. There will be a return yeah. to the offensive after the ceasefire concludes. That was something that he put into his statement out here today. In terms of the deals, though, we're all waiting to see what the next couple of hours will have to bring. Blake? Yeah, and, and it seems like it could potentially be here. You're right. In the next couple hours, we'll keep watching. Robert Sherman live for us this evening in Tel Aviv once again. Robert, thank you. Meantime, back here in the States, some movement in Congress. The New York Congressman Anthony D'Esposito put forth a resolution today formally condemning the slogan, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, condemning it as anti-Semitic. In a press release, the congressman declared, quote, the widespread use of the chant calling for liberation from the river to the sea is extremely troubling, considering that it is a blatant call for the destruction of America's greatest ally, Israel, as well as the Jewish people who reside there. Joining us now, once again, uh, the congressman from New York, Congressman D. Esposito, joining us uh, live, it looks like, from his, his home district. Congressman, thanks for being back. 
Um, why did you feel the need to? Yeah, no. Why did you feel the need to do this? I think it was, you know, exactly what you just said. It's a blatant call for the destruction of Israel and its people. And and at this time uh, in in our history, across the the not only our country but across the world, um, we are dealing with some of the. Uh, most anti-Semitic acts we've seen in a very, very long time. I mean, some of them are, you know, spearheaded in, in our places of education, our institutions of education. And I think this is an opportunity for us to uh, get a real handle and a, and a roll call of uh, of who in the House of Representatives, where they stand with Israel. And uh, it's very easy to, you know, send out a tweet and uh, a fancy, um, pub, a, a fancy, uh, a quote, but what we need to focus on is who is actually standing with Israel. I and mean, when you see the other side of the aisle, uh, led by the, the squad, uh, they have been, uh, anti-Semitic. They've been spewing hate. They've been fueling, uh, the flames that, uh, have lit the fires in so many places throughout this country. Uh, and I think they need to be held accountable. And we need to know as the American people who is standing with Israel, who's standing with our greatest ally and who's not. Have you gotten, um, any response, any feedback from your colleagues, any pushback? No, I haven't heard any pushback yet. I mean, I, I could uh, only assume uh, the group that will be against it. But I know that we've gotten uh, calls from colleagues throughout the, uh, throughout the country that want to jump on board to the resolution and be co-sponsors. Uh, and I think it's going to be a bipartisan approach because just as we've seen, uh, there are, are people on both sides of the aisle that realize the importance of this relationship and realize that there's no place for hate, uh, not only in the halls of Congress, but throughout if, this country. If a member of Congress votes against this, how would you describe them? How would you label them? I think it. Uh, I think this is one of those uh, one of those resolutions that speaks for itself. This is a, like a, like we said. This is a blatant call for the destruction of Israel and its people. Uh, you're either for Israel and its people, or you're not. And the people who are going to vote against this resolution will clearly be against Israel. Uh, headline today: Florida Democrat who voted to censure Representative Rashida Tlaib quits Progressive Caucus. Congresswoman Lois Frankel from uh, Florida, a staunch Israel supporter, left the Congressional Progressive Caucus amid an internal split over Israel's siege on Gaza. What would you say to the Democratic Congresswoman who said enough? Well, well, first, bravo. But I I think what this shows is that is uh, a perfect example of what we're seeing across this country and specifically here in places like New York and, and Long Island. I mean, the Democrats have feel like they have lost their party and it's literally become the party of progressives who want to f- push further and further to the left. I mean, my district alone is a district on Long Island where Democrats outnumber Republicans by 80,000. And we were able to win this seat uh, by four, four and a half points, and we'll win it again in 2024. But it's because the Democratic Party has lost their base. And those with common sense, those moderates, those who just want elected officials to go to Washington or Albany or represent them locally uh, and do the right thing to keep their families safe and, uh, you know, keep the food on their table a little bit more affordable, they've lost that. So let let me ask you, I got to run. You mentioned you're in Long Island. There was a a pro-Palestinian rally in New York City. And the uh, the actress, Susan Sarandon, she said, quote, at that rally, uh, quote, there are a lot of people afraid of being Jewish at this time and are getting a taste of what it feels like to be a Muslim in this country. She was dropped by her agent UTA. Think they did the right thing? Absolutely. And and I was at a, a press conference earlier today with a, a young woman who escaped uh, the escaped Israel during the terrorist attacks. Uh, she was at that concert. 
And uh, she mentioned as well that she and others are afraid uh, to be Jewish in places like New York City and actually felt uh, that they were safer in Israel than here at home. Uh, and I will say that uh, no one should be afraid to be home. Uh, we should all support uh, Israel. We should support our Jewish neighbors. And we should make it very clear that there's more of us than them. And we are going to not only win this war, we are going to eradicate Hamas uh, from this earth. Congressman D'Esposito, got to leave it there. Uh, thank you for the time, as always. Happy Thanksgiving as well. We'll see Happy you. Thanksgiving, uh, my we'll, friend. We'll see you soon. Yep. Be well. All right, uh, Brad, that resolution is going to be put forth. And, and I asked him, what, what would you make of or what would you say to those? How would you label them who vote against it? And he said sort of the vote stands for itself. I mean, I agree with the congressman. I agree with the, what he's doing on the resolution. I think Congress you know, should proactively denounce these things. Uh, and I think he'll get 400 votes maybe even more right. on the floor if it's presented. I wish the House Republican majority was equally focused at condemning the anti-Semitism and the white nationalism in their own party as well. Um, we haven't seen them do that until this conflict arose. So that's some concern. I wish they were a little more vigilant in their own party as well. But I think by, this is going to get strong bipartisan support. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Well, real quick. And anti-Semitism is a global problem. Anti-Semitism is a problem in the United States. I think this is the right thing. And we should know where Congress stands on anti-Semitism. Remember, more than 60% of hate crimes in this country are against Jews. I think this is a topic you do not try to turn it towards. I, 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 I don't think that right, he was so. trying to say that. But as a, a, the, the you know, veteran black person on this panel, <laughs> when, you, when we're talking about racism, vigilant racism, that up to which includes extreme violence, black people have been the victims of that in this country country since the advent of this country. So having that conversation is extremely important because I do think that if, on the one hand, Republicans can push very strongly against anti-Semitism and the language and the rhetoric that comes from that and the violence that can come afterward, they should in that same vein this be able to the see the multiplicity of examples that have happened within saying. the no, black right. community. Well, the war in the Middle East, uh, of course, has become a focal point for the Republican candidates running for the White House. But out on the campaign trail, the candidates, they, they never really know might, uh, what might come their way. A moment now for Nikki Haley, and it's gone viral. Nothing to do here with policy or even an interaction with a voter, as you'll see, someone who could vote. Rather, this moment with a nine-year-old girl. Watch. Hi, sweet girl. How are you? Good. I love your hat. Thank you. Thank you. One of your guys gave it to me for free. (laughs) I want you to tell me which guy that was, because we don't do things for free, although you look cute in it. (laughs) I don't see him right now. He's probably hiding. (laughs) (laughs) She's saying I don't give Ashley Davis's donation dollars away for free, is what she's saying there. Um... No, fun little moment there. Nikki Haley, though, climbing in the polls. You, you, you tell is. me there's some she real is. momentum there. There is. I mean, obviously, if you look at, I think, in our next segment, that where was New Hampshire, by the way. Um, Trump is going in with ads, and did I just spoil? No, no, keep going, keep going. It's fine. And um, DeSantis is spending more money, and I think that if she wasn't going up, she wouldn't be doing it. And do you have a lot of the high donors that are now starting to go? break her way since the last debate. I think this final debate with News Nation on the 6th will even be more important. And then if people are still standing on the sidelines, or, you know, there's nothing we can do. But she's won all three debates. Sorry. She did. No, that's yeah. 100%. Since Ashley mentioned it, Donald Trump is going up with ads in Iowa starting December 1st, so basically after 
Thanksgiving. You look at uh, the polling uh, in Iowa, Donald Trump, 47. DeSantis and Haley uh, right on behind him there, basically 17, 14. Nationally, it mirrors it kind of essentially Trump 59, uh, DeSantis 14, Haley 11. But to her point, uh, you're not running TV ads unless you feel like you need to, Ford. There's no question that Donald Trump understands that if he wins the Iowa caucuses, this primary is over. He wants this over as quickly as possible, and that's why he's running TV ads. Because what you're saying between Haley and DeSantis is a fight for distant second place. And by the way, the ad with the hat, that was just savage. Kids say the darndest thing <laughs> in the middle of those deals. But that's the point. Is Haley can't get oxygen right now outside of DeSantis, and therefore she has to try gimmicks you- like that. To get her name, you are seeing you are seeing big money donors though come her way, right? Absolutely, and 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 they're going to continue. And I think you'll see a lot more announcements happening of who's hosting different events for her. That have people that have been standing on the sidelines or originally supported DeSantis and are now supporting. But that's what that's what I'm seeing is I'm watching the shift from DeSantis to Haley. I'm not watching the shift away from Donald Trump. And frankly, you're seeing a lot of high dollar donors, including Woody Johnson, basically say. It's time to circle the wagon. So every, every, oh no, go on. No, go no, on. I just want to say one thing. If, so there's 28 to 30 percent of voters that are going to, Republican voters that are always going to vote for Trump. Then there's 28 to 30 percent that are never going to vote for Trump. There's still this middle ground that people just want Republicans to win. I mean, that's up 40 percent left. I, that I don't know where these polls are coming from. I do obviously believe that Trump's ahead. I just don't know if he's ahead as much as... Well, I think the question is when we look at the Iowa caucuses, does Haley or DeSantis get 15% because of the way the mechanics of the caucus work? And then we can discuss what a second... Every dollar that Donald Trump spends on another state or or in the Republican primary, he's not spending on your guy, right? So I guess that's kind of a a good thing for you in a sense, no? I don't know. Look, I think the, the problem for Republicans is we're having this conversation about large donors. The the base of the party, the grassroots base of the party, is with President Trump. That much is clear. It is these big-name donor individuals who are trying to change that because they fear he may lose it in the general or they don't like what he's presenting. But what he is selling, the grassroots of the Republican Party is buying. And so I think as long as that dynamic holds, it's going to be very difficult to beat the president. All right, well, and so- it's very difficult to talk about these high-dollar donors because they've hopscotched amongst Republican candidates for a while now. One, at one point, they were Tim Scott. Now they're Nikki Haley. <laughs> yeah. They wanted DeSantis in the beginning. He should have his campaign. Joe Biden needs his money to solidify his base. <laughs> we all saw it. You saw 21% of Democrats that are dissatisfied with the Democratic base. They've got to actually circle the wagons within their own party. First. All right, well, some exciting news here at News Nation, as we've been talking about. We're hosting the next Republican primary debate Wednesday, December 6th. The GOP presidential candidates will square off in a live primetime event at the University of Alabama. We'll be there, by the way. Sirius XM's Megyn Kelly, News Nation's own Elizabeth Vargas, Eliana Johnson with the Washington Free Beacon will moderate the two-hour event. That is December 6th, 8 o'clock Eastern, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, right here on News Nation. But before then, and coming up, do you feel as if there was progress in air travel this year? Huh. Uh, Well, the head of the transportation department does, and now he is warning Republicans not to mix things up. What the country's top travel boss had to say ahead of of one of the busiest travel days of the year. Plus, blame Washington, D.C. That is the message from New York City's mayor as he now faces major pushback from residents in his own city. The $11 billion immigration issue. When the Hill on News Nation returns.
Every time extremist Republicans in Congress bring us to the brink of a government shutdown, it threatens to stop the momentum that we have built around training uh, and around protecting customer rights. Every time they threaten to slash funding for DOT and short the FAA, and there's a Republican proposal to do that on the cusp of reaching the House floor right now, it threatens to reverse all of this progress. Well, that was the Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, ahead of what his department says is likely to be one of the busiest travel holidays in U.S. history. Uh, he says there was some progress there. With uh, <laughs> Don't we say that? I feel that is said every year by whoever's in charge. I mean, there's going to be the busiest lot of progress. Except busy, COVID. We, we're comparing it to COVID. Um, COVID time, nobody was traveling. But I do think that there has been progress. We've seen an uptick of people who are actually traveling. We've seen an ease of travel over the last big holiday cycles. We saw it about 4th of July. We're seeing it now. I, I think that we're, you know, we're along that pathway. And fingers crossed, we won't hear of any crises moments. Uh, there's still time. But thus far, everything has been rolling pretty smoothly. A lot of people are already gone. I'm not sure if we I'm, can blame it on Republicans. Well, I'm going to cry, but I'm going to enjoy this. I'll do it here in a second. And I wasn't saying uh, you were. I was saying what the I, U.S. What I will say is, like, yes. the American infrastructure Plain system them. is just a joke. I mean, it has, particularly around domestic travel, in the sense that we don't have high-speed rail when all the other countries do. That would reduce the air burden. We don't invest enough in infrastructure, which is why I'm thankful President Biden signed historic investments in infrastructure that are starting to take shape. They're going to take years to come. This is just a fundamental problem when you have a rush of travelers. But I do think... Uh, you know, as we look to invest more in domestic travel, you've got Republicans threatening across, threatening across the board spending cuts. And so, you know, they wanted to gut Amtrak by 92%. There's no such thing as a spending cut in Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> Only a reduction in the radio. They think this worse, cut Amtrak. You know, you know what they just told me? What what they, they, they just told me? They just told me that they have no way around Biden's inflation, so they're going to just talk about victories that don't actually exist. And let's talk about Pete Buttigieg. He only knows one word when it comes to Republicans. Extremists. He may well He's be... He's encountered the, a lot of he may be. <laughs> he may well be the worst transportation, modern transportation secretary in, in U.S. history. I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's a quick. ranking. We got a baby <laughs> formula problem. He was in Portugal I, 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 during a rail wait, crisis. You're blaming, you're blaming Pete Buttigieg for the baby formula issue when we I, get a lot of I'm also blaming him for being in Portugal during the rail crisis. The guy is absent. He's quiet, quit the job. You only put him up there so that you could tout how young and how diverse he was. In, in this Biden administration, essentially, identity politics trumps competency and merit. The reality is uh, Mayor Pete successfully was mayor for a lot of terms, understands these challenges local jurisdictions have. Fixing infrastructure in this country is not easy. I'm proud of his leadership there. I obviously want him to do more and can do more. But again, all, the, all he's doing is implementing... And Democrats have historically on, just, led just, on just, The bottom line is traffic is going to be really bad. Yeah, so I was going to say... I was going to say... And it's really not Republicans' not sure. fault. The weather. I'm not sure I would put my political. <laughs> no, it's not Republicans' fault. I was going to say, hold on one second. I was good about the weather, but it is Republicans' fault in historic divestments in infrastructure. We yes. see that across the country, whether it's busing systems, whether it's requests to what? have train systems but, in various places across the country, in various communities, just, because Republicans in leadership don't. What, pro what progress? Hold on one second. When Bingo. you strip the when you strip the politics out of this, he said that there it threatens to reverse all of this progress. Flying is a nightmare in this country. Any Democrat or Republican would tell you it absolutely stinks Instagram right now. Instagram would not tell you that because there have been more people traveling <laughs> to Paris, 
to well, <laughs> Australia to everybody else. No one yeah. wants to go to the this entire We year. just have to get from point A to point B. I think you're touting progress. It is not really progress. And all you're saying the is The numbers show had, progress. No, we had COVID. And now you're trying here. to say all of a sudden just sort of like creating the number of jobs. You didn't create jobs. You recovered but jobs. The Republican all response is too Last, last. <laughs> So I don't know what their answer is here. Can we put up that picture of uh, Palm Springs, California, by the way, uh, Mark? Because I think all of us would want to go to Palm Springs at this point in time. Uh, Americans are starting to hit the road. There you go. Uh, along the highway there in California. It seems like a nice drive. I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, why turn a two-hour flight into an eight-hour flight when I can take an eight-hour drive and make it an eight-hour drive? That's sort of the way I view travel right now. It's Wait. flying. <laughs> it feels like every flight's canceled. I, I, yes. And I know I on the car. I've had that issue since COVID with a lot of Really? Oh, my gosh. So. I made a right, decision well, a long time ago to stay in D.C. for so There you go. That's not a, bad, not a bad decision. Coming up, uh, as Americans get ready to celebrate Thanksgiving, there are growing concerns in the Big Apple about potential violence because of the war between Israel and Hamas. We heard from New York's governor today, and we'll tell you what she said about this, plus... Have you thought recently that tickets for live events are just outrageously expensive? It's nuts, right? You're sick of the fees. You're sick of the cost. Well, now lawmakers are actually fighting back what they want from the biggest in entertainment. That's coming up here on The Hill. Stay with us. Welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. So New York City is going into the holiday weekend with an uptick in threats as the war between Israel and Hamas continues. That state's governor spoke to the media earlier today about social media's role. Social media is an emotion amplifier. If the emotion is love and that's amplified, that is a good dynamic. If the emotion is hate and that's amplified, that's the chaos that we're falling into today. Why were you scoffing at that? Why was I scoffing yeah. at it? Because Kathy Hochul is a politician who failed upward. What is she talking about social media when she does that? She needs to understand what's going on in New York. You have a situation around the world, okay, whether it's what's going on in Israel, what's going on with the world on fire, and you also have a border situation. And when you take the two there, I will just say, in terms of this country, we are probably at the closest point since 9-11, something bad happening. Hopefully I'm wrong. I want to be wrong. I completely agree with you in regards to the we are the closest, uh, and it feels the same after 9-11 in regards to the extremists in this country on both sides. And what's happening with the border and even Customs and Border Control, which I talk about all the time, yeah. of how many people have come over the border. One that we can't account for, but from countries that want to kill us. And for, for context for our viewers, you were the first employee at the Department of Homeland Security. Yes. Back, and, and so lived through so you kind know of the post and right. all of the, we know, we haven't had heightened security threats conversation for years, if you Decades. think about it. I don't agree with you on criticizing the social media, because if, can you imagine if we had social media after 9-11? I mean, they were, commu- how pe- these people are communicating is through social media, and the hatred coming out of these people is on but social I, what media. I, what I, what I, I, I do disagree with you. But, but Hochul, I'm not saying social media isn't a problem. I mean, I've talked to Tom Holman many times, and I see exactly what you're saying. What I'm saying is, is that's just her go-to at this moment, because she's just trying to pacify, you know, at Thanksgiving. I think I agree with that. I, it, it, Kathy Hochul gave the 
wrong. Uh, I don't know how more off pitch you could be in terms of describing what's happening in this moment. Yes, social media has its effect. But if you are to talk to anybody in New York right now, there is a sense of fear. There is a sense of urgency. There is a sense of frustration with all their government leaders from top down. And I think that her refusal to acknowledge that, but also her refusal to acknowledge that this security threat is real and that it is not something that was a creation on TikTok. It existed and would have existed whether TikTok did or not. Right. That is a problem. Look, the two, the two biggest dangers with social media is, number one, it is incredibly easy, easier today than it ever has been before to find folks who tend to agree with any kind of hateful, discriminatory belief you may have and to find you know, community in that. And that only further empowers extremism. The second is it is easier than ever for foreign for our foreign adversaries to change American minds about different right. issues and, and inspire them to hate and extremism by disinformation in other ways. And that's a huge... That's way, true, CBS. but there have been networks that have been doing that for a very long time. Yeah, now, you get, <laughs> now, now a teenager can get it right. in his bedroom. By the way, I just want to put a bow on this by, by, by noting that CBS News uh, is reporting that the threat assessment by the New York State Intelligence uh, Center has revealed concerns about violence stemming from the war. So they are clearly concerned... On that front, speaking of New York City, uh, it works to ensure the safety of its citizens uh, that they do have that they are doing more with less money. Mayor Eric Adams recently announcing billions of dollars in budget cuts to city services as a result of the increasingly expensive migrant crisis. Now the mayor is attempting to shift the blame here to Washington. You're talking about defunding uh, our national government defunded New York City. It's unbelievable when you look at this course and what we are experiencing. I know New Yorkers are angry when they hear about these efficiency cuts. But, you know, New Yorkers, I want you to know I'm angry also. Okay, so Eric Adams um, just announced this week the New New York's budget or within the last week, 11 billion dollars going to deal with the migrant crisis, 11 billion over the next two years. And what you just heard there is the top Democrat in the nation's largest city. Point the finger at Washington, D.C., which is controlled two thirds by Democrats. I think in his in his sentiments are I'm a native Chicago and his sentiments are heard across Chicago as well, where a lot of migrants have been bused by the hundreds on a daily basis for months now. At this point, I think that it has reached a ticker point where you have people you have more people than you can house. You also have to provide social services, health services. They are in the school system, the people who have young kids. There is a lot going on that is going to cost the city money. This is a federal issue because there are no work permits that are coming from the federal government. There has yet to be a substance. Um, immigration reform package that has come from anybody. But he's, but he, so, but he's also what is what is he to do? What are any of the mayors of the major cities that Republican governors have shifted the blame saying, to? And the migrants. Hold on, by saying blame DC, the the Democratic mayor from New York is saying blame Democrats. Is, is he not for the he's most part? Blame, he's, playing, he's saying blame the Biden administration. There are certain Biden things that many have. And, and, and he's he signed on to a letter as well as Governor Hochul, as well as the governor of Illinois, as well as the mayor of Chicago, uh, just a few weeks ago, saying that the Biden administration needed to do more. That went straight to the, the White House. The out of control immigration crisis in this country, the root cause of it is Joe Biden and his policies. OK, and it's very simple. He just refuses to enforce it. So now everywhere in America is a border state. He, Joe Biden is delivering 
deliberately harming the public safety of New Yorkers because of his border policies. He doesn't deter anyone. He doesn't detain anyone. And he certainly doesn't deport anyone. So the entire world's going to keep coming. And you've, you've put it down public safety. You're driving down wages how, and you're endangering the how lives of migrants. How big of a migrants. problem is this, Brad? Like, this is a huge political And you problem. don't need Congress. For the president and for the Democratic Party at large. And you talk to a lot of, for instance, there's a lot of blue dogs. Uh, in Congress that are down on the board. Moderates. Moderates. Henry right. Cuellar, Vicente Gonzalez, who have been preaching to the Democratic Party that we've got to do something. I think the Republican tactic to send these migrants to these cities worked because it had a wake-up call among these inner city I, I, I want to give, I want to give, I want to give the... hopeful that our party starts to address this. Last word here to the first ever employee at the Department of Homeland Security. Cities that they're being sent to, one, I don't like anybody being used as a political ploy. One. Two, they are sanctuary cities. Their sanctuary status was not designed by law to it, to exhibit but that's what, what happened right now. That is not that what sanctuary joined, status is. So exactly sanctuary status has existed, second, in, existed in the major cities for over 35 years. The second thing is, is I don't think that um, New Yorkers are going to really blame anybody but the mayor. Really? You think it's going to come down on him? What the, what the, I mean, what, so they're going to point to Washington? I mean, right. I think it's going to come down on him. He's obviously, he's taking the, his... That's why he's directing, he's deflecting and directing in another direction. <laughs> All right. Well, coming up, the fight against fentanyl in this country. There has been some movement in the last handful of days here, and we heard from the White House today on this very issue, where one of the biggest problems in this country heads next. We're back in a few when The Hill on News Nation returns. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back. So as you might know, tens of thousands of Americans die from fentanyl each year. According to the CDC, in 2022, fentanyl overdoses accounted for nearly 70 percent of drug overdose deaths in this country. Today, the president touted progress in fighting the nation's fentanyl crisis. News Nation's Kelly Meyer is live at the White House with the very latest. Kelly, what did we what did we hear from the White House today on this front? Yeah, well, this meeting comes on the heels of President Biden's meetings with the presidents of China and Mexico just last week, where he says the country's made important progress in curbing the flow of this deadly drug into the U.S. President Biden says China is already taking steps to shut down companies dealing in illicit trade of the chemicals used to make fentanyl. And President Biden says he made progress with Mexico's president, too, to better disrupt the flow of fentanyl and dismantle violent criminal groups that traffic synthetic drugs into the U.S. And earlier today, President Biden shared the emotional toll it's taking on American families. Take a listen. As families all across the country gather this week with their loved ones for Thanksgiving, too many are going to face looking at an empty chair for the first time at Thanksgiving because so many people have died. It's heartbreaking. It's, uh, it really is an American tragedy. The president is urging Congress to step in here and pass his supplemental budget request that he says includes significant resources to help stop the flow of fentanyl into our country. Blake. Kelly Meyer, live for us, North Lawn of the White House. Kelly, thank you. Brad, I thought I saw you shaking your head at the beginning of that. Is, is, what, is, 
Is this going to work? I'm, I'm just not sure progress would be the word I would use to describe the war on fentanyl or in general. I think it, this is a holistic problem from not doing enough to secure the border to a lot of folks, particularly in rural areas, not having opportunities for economic growth, not seeing a future and returning to these kind of you know, ways out of it. And so I think from mental health resources to education and awareness in schools, more police effort and securing the border, it's going to take all of that. And I don't think we're seeing any progress at the local. Well, you forgot one thing in there. What about China? I mean, yeah, that's the thing. 90% of the fentanyl is coming from China. It's going to Mexico. The cartels are So do you think the meeting with President Xi accomplished anything? Okay, no, I don't. Here's why. I hope. Hold on, you don't. Do 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 you think it did before he goes on? I mean, it probably sparked a good conversation. What what incentive does Xi have to stop the fentanyl into America. And frankly, if he doesn't abide by the agreement, what is President Biden going to do to Xi? Absolutely nothing. This is a situation... Would you say the same about Donald Trump? Donald Trump did a lot better. As we know that it's gone up 25... Yes, he did. did we had a more... China, we, I mean, well, we... No, this isn't a love letter. We've gone up 25% in terms of fentanyl deaths under, under President Biden versus President Trump. And the reason was... Right going forward, Eastern, going was, forward. If you say Biden can't do anything about it... If you she don't secure the, the border and you don't hold China okay. accountable, we're not going to go anywhere on this. The fentanyl crisis, there are the majority of people who are involved in the fentanyl trafficking are Americans in this country, first and foremost. So the, it's interesting yes, that, you at, that you start at that you started migrants. No, because the majority of people the cartels, who are caught up here are, are But Americans. it comes it comes via the it comes via the cartels across I, I, the border. I know how it gets here. The people who are selling it, the people who are pushing in our communities, the people who are literally um, engaged in watching people die and continuing to stay on these streets, those are American citizens. Right. Okay. No, sorry. Go, no, it's, give a border you problem. it's a border problem. But also, I'm kind of like, this is, people have been dying for years, and like it looks almost like a little bit late for him to be coming to the table now. And by the way, that money, the $1.2 billion that he's asking Congress for to go to DHS when they're not using it for the border, there's like absolutely no way that's All going right. anywhere. So Sorry. Making a bit of a turn <laughs> here. I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> Did you empty your bank account just to go see Taylor Swift? Maybe one of your other favorite musicians last time they were in town. You sick of the outrageous ticket prices for your favorite artists, your, your sports teams, whoever? Well, you're not alone. And now Congress might be doing something about it. A Senate panel has now issued a subpoena for documents related to the company's ticket pricing fees and resale practices of uh, this, by the way, is Live Nation. Uh, they own Ticketmaster. And a subpoena has been issued, you can see there from the Hill, Senate panel subpoenas Live Nation, a newly announced probe into ticket prices and fees. Uh, this coming from, uh, there was a, a Senate panel looking into this, uh, a Senate panel, uh, the uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal, thank you. Take it from here. Listen, I think, well, first of all, a subpoena is a fairly big deal compared to just like in, you know, someone asking for information yeah. from, as a senator. So I do think it's serious. I From what they said, Live Nation said back is, we want to guarantee that you're not going to give proprietary information to our competitors out to the public. So this is, I I kind of understand why Live Nation's not doing, like, giving the information right now, because when Congress gets into business practices, (laughs) I think it's very dangerous. So just a couple couple stats before we move forward. So I'm taking the issue out yeah. of it. So do you support breaking up Ticketmaster and Live Nation? 60% in a recent poll, by the way, performed by SeatGeek, uh, said that they do. About one in five said that they oppose. 2022 U.S. ticket sales, about two-thirds come from Ticketmaster. And you can see the next three uh, who are in the market are, are basically between 10 to 15%. There was a Senate hearing earlier this year, with, uh, and Senator Ted Cruz was involved. 
Watch this exchange, and then we'll, we'll pick it up on the other side. I mean, your judgment is Ticketmaster a monopoly? Unequivocally. Mr. Mickelson? Yes, sir, without a doubt. Mr. Nuzzo? Yes, absolutely. Ms. Bradish? It's certainly acting like a monopoly. <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Berktold, do you agree with the other witnesses on this panel? No. Uh, we absolutely believe the ticketing business has never been more competitive. <laughs> never been more competitive. Who are they going to break? Competing with? I don't know. Like they are competing with themselves. This is I the first Ted time Cruz I've agreed holistically with Ted Cruz. I think that he actually <laughs> fell short on that. Ticketmaster is a monopoly within a wider oligopoly. You've got the secondary market. When you're looking at SeatGeek and the others, so this is a bad situation. And you know what? Thank God for Taylor Swift, because if it hadn't been for Taylor Swift, so we wouldn't be talking I have about just, it. I have just heard a Republican say, thank God for Taylor I know, Swift. I know there were some that were bashing her. <laughs> and you two, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. And you two are agreeing on this. I think we see where this is going with Congress. I think, I think all Americans can collectively say this, this Thanksgiving. Thank God for Taylor Swift. Uh, secondly, what I'm, I was half expecting Ford. I was expecting Ford to blame this on Binomics, the rise in concert prices. But I, what, I, what, I, what I will say is that only in San Francisco. Or it's Republicans' fault, right, right. isn't what, it? What I will say is, you know, it's glad to see Republicans coming around to concerns of monopolistic behavior in corporate America. I think it's something Democrats have been doing for a while, and I think they're smart to go after this issue. But you know, I think after COVID. I know I've gone to more concerts in the last two years than I ever have in my life, and so there's a lot of demand for I it. I right went now. to Taylor Swift and Beyonce, and I am still upset about <laughs> how the yeah, I mean, makes OPEC look like a free enterprise. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. All right, well, coming up in the next hour, News Nation's Brian Enton is filling in for Elizabeth Vargas on Elizabeth Vargas Report. So I'll get an update from the spokesperson for the Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, as we await here uh, for where we started this show. Is there going to be a deal with hostages between Israel and Hamas. Brian will be digging into that uh, in about seven minutes from now, six o'clock Eastern, right here on News Nation. But before then, we are talking turkey from the bird to the dinner rolls. How much families are spending this holiday season for a party of 10? What do you think that number is? And do you think it's gone down? What have you been seeing? Some final thoughts from the panel when we return. Tonight on Cuomo, the one and only Bill O'Reilly joins Chris live. I, I disagree with you 100%. I see it differently. His take on the day's biggest headlines, tonight on Cuomo. This is annoying. All right, so with Thanksgiving a couple days away here, have you ever wondered how much your feast will cost? If you've done some shopping, maybe you got an idea. According to the American Farm Bureau Federation, the average price of a Thanksgiving meal for 10 people will cost $61.17. That's almost a 5% decrease compared to 2022. You can thank lower turkeys, uh, turkeys rather for the lower prices. Turkey costs per pound are down 6% from last year with experts saying prices are expected to drop further. Okay, so the, so the Democrats are going to say thank you, Bidenomics. The Republicans <laughs> are going to say, well, look at 2021 when it's up eight bucks a person. So we know that. Um, I'll jump in and ask you. It was a question I had in our production meeting earlier today. Do you know where uh, the most amount of turkeys come from? What state? Nebraska. Arkansas. You're close. You're number you're third. Oh, I have no idea. Texas. No, it's it's Minnesota. Forty and a half really? million to, Yeah, from the state of Minnesota. Liberty and Bell, which were the turkeys that were pardoned at the White House. Uh, Those are massive week. turkeys. Yep, they went back <laughs> to Minnesota. But uh prices are coming down, so that's good. We all can celebrate that, right? 
Right. Uh, it's still up 25. There you go. <laughs> exactly. the pandemic, that's, what that's what I thought. Before the fragomics, baby. That's what I thought. There we go. That's what I thought. All right. Is, well. Is there a reasoning that the, the numbers are down for turkeys? Like, are more turkeys uh, having babies? But they are. Uh, I don't know. I just. More I, I can just tell you that, that, that the most are in Minnesota. I can enjoy that's Blake doing the debate for us. So and we may not be yeah, yeah, 